Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and I'm sitting here staring at Cobra Commander's bright red shoes, which I had not noticed before. But more on that uh, when we get into news, because technically, he's news. Uh... I have just finished my DDP yoga workout. I do four a week now, and the one tonight is called Stand Up 2.0. And it's, a, it's as you might infer from the name, it's all done standing up. It builds your balance and your strength and basically makes you better at doing the other workouts. So while it in and of itself is not productive as far as necessarily burning calories or fat, although it is... Uh, I always post, if you're following Phantom Troublemaker on Instagram, uh, I post all of this stuff in my stories so people see it and see like, oh, well, this regular guy who podcasts is doing these workouts all the time. Maybe I could do it too, and you should. Uh, but you can see my progress. I wear a heart rate monitor, so it tells me uh, how many calories I burn and, and where I'm at in the workout. But anyway, this one's great. Uh, I am tired after working 12 hours coming home doing my workout uh i've still got to eat dinner i'm recording this first because you guys are more important you guys are my nourishment you're my sustenance more so than any food uh but yeah so i'm sitting down and doing this and there's there's a little bit of news to talk about so let's get to it First piece of news, Hasbro's PulseCon is this weekend. Uh, I believe it starts today, September the 25th, and is also tomorrow the 26th. I don't know if they're doing anything on Sunday or not, but uh, they already sold their exclusives, or or are selling. They've gone up for sale, I guess is the way to put it, uh, for PulseCon. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how that went Currently still available for pre-order are the Transformers Generations War for Cybertron Trilogy Quintesson Pit of Judgment figure, which is a set of figures basically from Transformers the movie, I guess. Or it's it's lifted into the current War for Cybertron, I guess technically. Uh, but it's a Quintesson, which is awesome. I wouldn't mind having it. But I didn't order it because no more Transformers for me. Uh, the two-pack with Hugh Jackman as Logan and Patrick Stewart as uh, the professor from the movie Logan, which I did order. Uh, The Hellfire Club box set, the Snake Supreme Cobra Commander figure, the Heroes of Endor set for Star Wars Black Series, which comes with uh, Luke, Leia, Han, I think it's Tebow, maybe? Or maybe it's Butu or Flickum, or I, I don't know. I'm trying to look right now and see. It, it Does it really not list the figures in here? Uh, Collectors alike. Can imagine the biggest battles and missions. Oh, this is not helpful. 
Wow. Okay. Well, I can't seem to scroll through the pictures either. So this is not helpful, Hasbro. Thanks for that. But anyway, you, you've seen the set. You know what it is. It's an amazing looking box, uh, and it includes the uh, scout bike or speeder bike. Very cool, up for pre-order. Uh, you can still purchase, as of this recording, like purchase and they are shipping them, the Power Rangers Lightning Collection Mighty Morphin Lord Dracon Evo 3 figure. I don't know what the heck that is, but it looks pretty cool. Uh, he, uh, from from a distance at first, I thought he was like Mandarin, but it looks like maybe it's Green Ranger, but he's evil. He comes with some green lightning and stuff and all the Power Ranger helmets. Looks like a pretty neat set if you're a Power Rangers fan. Uh, the Black Series Wampa, a three-pack of Vintage Collection Arc Troopers from the 501st Legion, which is cool, but I'm not paying 50 bucks for three three-and-three-quarter-inch figures. Uh, and then the Tully's Terrible Night from Hasbro's, I, I would go so far as to say almost disastrous Ghostbusters Plasma Series, uh, that's a little mean. And then there are a bunch of hats and shirts as well that are that are fine. I ordered one shirt from Hasbro Pulse, and I, I just cannot stand the way that it fits, so I won't be getting any more Hasbro shirts. But all that stuff was for sale to Hasbro Pulse Premium members yesterday. Uh, I jumped on, and I got the Hellfire Club set, Cobra Commander, and the Logan and Professor X 2-pack, and they were listed as in stock, like ready to ship. And then as they sold out, they put up coming soon, which the only things that sold out that I saw yesterday were Cobra Commander and the indoor set, and then maybe later on Hellfire Club sold out. I'm not positive. Um, and they would say coming soon. And then today when everything went up for sale... Uh, some of the stuff was still in stock, but over the course of the day as it sold out, they turned into pre-orders, which I think is very, very cool. And look, you might look at this and be like, March 29th. Okay, well, no, this is different. The Logan set is set to ship on 1019. The Cobra Commander is set to ship on 329, and this is approximate. And, and you might be like, March 29th of next year, that's a long way away. But guess what? Guess what's a longer way away? Not being able to get it at all. That's way longer away. Uh, the Hellfire Club set is showing March 29th. So basically what Hasbro is doing is another production run of these exclusive items. And I think that's fantastic because, I, as I've said before on the show, I'm not the kind of person who gets off on other people not having what I have. If, if there's a toy you want, I think you should be able to get it. It, it. it has no effect whatsoever on my enjoyment. Like this is Snake Supreme Cobra Commander figure. I'm so stoked about this ridiculously garish thing with its red pimp shoes that, that I cannot believe I didn't notice until I started recording this episode. Uh, but, like, this is a must-have. I'm so excited to have this thing in hand, but whether I'm the only one on the planet that has it, or, okay, well, that would probably make it like even more special but like if i'm one of a thousand people that has it or everybody on the planet gets one i don't care i want to have it and enjoy it so i don't i'm not a big fan of that like oh i've got this thing and you don't have it like whatever everybody should be able to get everything so this is awesome that hasbro's doing this this way uh i believe everything i got yesterday was active in stock ready to be shipped uh, because it was actually their allotment for San Diego Comic-Con. So hopefully this, this stuff will ship 
pretty soon, and Hasbro Pulse's shipping has always been super fast once they do ship it. Uh, and then all the rest of this stuff is pre-order. So if there's anything you want, go get it now, because these pre-orders only last through Sunday, I believe. Let me click back over here. I, I can't get enough of these red pimp shoes. Uh, pre-order ends Sunday, 9-27 at 11.59 p.m. So uh, this Sunday at midnight. You've got until then uh, to, to order. I think that's awesome. I think it's great. I'm very excited that Hasbro has embraced this uh, almost NECA Super 7 style of, of pre-ordering. So there you go. That's our, our first news item, which is a pretty big one. But then we've got another big one, depending on how you like to collect your Marvel superheroes. I'm doing a little scrolling here down through our friends at Toy Arc, which is where I get most of my toy information. Uh, well, I, you know, technically, most of my toy information comes from Instagram, uh, because if you're following the right accounts and, and eyeing the right stuff, there are uh, that, that is the best resource. But uh, Toy Arc is fantastic. We often use it as a reference when we're doing episodes. And Hasbro, through Kenner, this has actually got Kenner branding on it, which is weird. Uh, Hasbro is launching this really bizarre retro 3.75-inch action figure line that is not Secret Wars, because I believe Secret Wars were 5 inches, uh, and these aren't shaped like those although they are reminiscent of them uh more than anything they remind me of Migos pocket superheroes i think but they're five points of articulation they don't quite resemble reaction figures but that is clearly what hasbro's going for they've got great sculpts they've got great looking paint uh these are not they're simple figures but they don't look cheap if that makes sense and they are not cheap. They're $20 for a two-pack. The initial two-packs are going to be offered on Hasbro Pulse uh, starting today, actually, at 5 p.m. And you have Captain America and Black Panther, Iron Man and Cyclops, and Spider-Man and Electro. And it's hard for me to describe these. They're Secret Wars-ish, but smaller and different er I, I i don't know go you need to go check them out go take a look at them look at them and uh, see if this is something you're interested in they're they're classic looks for these characters they come on gorgeous blister cards uh i really like the look of these and i'll be honest if i just saw them in a store i would probably grab them they're 10 bucks a piece which when you look at a five points of articulation figure in this scale you think that's a little pricey until you think about super sevens are now 18 dollars a piece and these are on par with that quality captain america has a shield it's the only accessory i see but uh you know these look great it, it wouldn't surprise me to find out somebody who had worked on the reaction line at some point had worked on these figures. Uh, but I I'm, I don't see me collecting them, but I do like them. And, you know, maybe I'm sitting here looking at this Cyclops. Maybe I'd get the X-Men. Just the X-Men. Since they they apparently don't aren't going to be doing Build-A-Figures with these. So, like, with Marvel Legends, it's very hard to stick to one type of thing because some team member somewhere, you're going to end up needing for a Build-A-Figure. Uh, but 
with these, these are just single-packed figures, so I mean, maybe I'll grab Cyclops. I don't know. But they're uh, Hasbro Pulse exclusive through the end of the year, and then they're supposedly going to show up at retail sometime next year, which seems to be the thing. Uh, but yeah, they look really cool. I, I think they're neat. I'm very curious to see how they do. Obviously, uh, reactions are mixed online because that's how the internet works. And then finally, the last piece of news. I, I don't know that it even really qualifies as news, but I want to give a shout-out to AEW. Uh, if you go back a couple of weeks and listen to the episode I did with our pal Adam Topless down in Australia, um, we talked a good bit about AEW. I wouldn't say it was a comprehensive look at the first year, but it was our thoughts about where the company is now and where it's been. Um, so AEW has been working with Billy Corgan in the NWA and featuring some of the, some of NWA powers, best athletes on their programming, uh, including their women's champion, uh, Thunder Rosa, who I think is one of the best women working today. And I just think it's really cool. I love it. I I love that AEW is open to that kind of cross promotion. Uh, Eddie Kingston, who is, I think, the best talker in the business right now, and and a hell of a worker, too. Um, He was in the main event of Dynamite against John Moxley in an absolute... Look, this this is not a word I use often or lightly. A banger of a match. Loved it. As a matter of fact... I, that whole episode of Dynamite this this past Wednesday, it was a little weird. Obviously, some stuff had been cut out. There was supposed to be a six man tag, but uh, Lance Archer uh, had had came down with COVID, um, so they had changed some plans up, and you can sort of tell. But overall, I, I was thoroughly entertained by almost all of that episode of Dynamite to the point where I would go back and watch the last probably two thirds of it over again, and I might just do that. Um, but I, I just think it's so awesome that, that they're using these people. I mean, Ricky Starks, obviously he's signed now. Uh, he, he and Eddie Kingston are signed to AEW now. Ricky Starks came in, made an impact immediately. His feud with Darby Allen has been amazing. Just like everything AEW does, they, they put these threads out. They, they see what the response is to them and they slowly build these stories uh, with, I think, great payoffs. Now, that's my opinion. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe And look, I'm an old school guy, and, and I think some of what they do is clown show stuff, but they've really won me over with their variety and with the thoughtfulness of what they're doing. Even if it's stuff I don't like, I recognize the integrity of it, I guess, and, and the desire to do great things and and they're working with nwa and with billy corgan is exactly that's an example of why i think aew is so great that that they would do that it's it's just awesome i i every day i love this company a little bit more so good for them uh that's that's about it for your news now once again you might be saying phantom dave You've given us so much intro, but we don't even know what this episode is about yet. What is, what is this title that, that we see, this continuity in film franchises? Uh, you, you guys, I wanted a more clever title than that, and I just I, I, I was drained of creativity. I, I had nothing. So what we're going to be talking about today with Bobby Nash and Mike Gordon is take a, a franchise like 
Indiana Jones or Fox's X-Men or the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Star Trek or, or all of these related films or, or films that are related to, you know, within themselves. And how hard have the creative forces and the producers behind them worked to give you a cohesive story? Obviously, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is the, the top of the heap, the very best of the best at doing that, at satisfying our geeky desire for continuity. And we just had a conversation about how other franchises have handled it, how important it has been over the years, and it's an awesome conversation. And it popped into my head the other day, and we ended up doing kind of a, la not a last minute, but an, I guess an extra episode, because I wanted to get this one done so badly. It, it really, uh, I had something else planned for the last episode of September, but this one was just, I, I, I fell in love with this idea and the idea of talking to Bobby and Mike about it so much that I had to get it done. So we recorded two episodes in two nights, which I don't do anymore really at all, because uh, I, I just had to get this one done. And it turned out great. It was absolutely perfect and what I wanted. And I think you guys are going to love it. So sit back with your favorite beverage, uh, un unless you're in the car, in which case you should be hydrating and drinking water and, and while you listen, pay attention to your surroundings and be very, very careful. And don't let our entrancing voices distract you from the task at hand. But whatever the case, enjoy three guys talking about nerdy movies and whether or not the people who made them cared at all about continuity. Joining me tonight are the award-winning Bobby Nash. Hi! And the drop-your-linen-and-start-your-grinning Mike Gordon. Howdy! Uh, all right, guys, so I had I, I was <laughs> struck with inspiration for an idea, and usually when that happens, I have very specific guests in mind that I want to talk to. Uh, the other night, I was watching The Wolverine with my son, uh, also, available on Disney Plus. Uh, well, and and it's pretty <laughs> gruesome for Disney Plus. It is. And it is an f bomb. It might be their it might be their most gruesome movie on Disney Plus. That wouldn't surprise me because as we were watching, because he hadn't seen it before, um, so as we were watching it, because I'm still he's twelve, so I'm still at the point where there are things where and there's nothing in that movie that was really all that bad. But compared to what you think of when you think of Disney, right. it's pretty brutal. Like, dude reaching into his own chest to work on his heart is a little much. But uh, So I'm, I'm cognizant of it. But uh, we're, we're sitting there watching the movie, and he's asking me about the other X-Men movies, which, you know, non-movie or non-narrative issues... Uh, with those aside, uh, you know, he's asking me like, well, when did this happen? How does this work? And I'm like, these don't really work that way. They're not, <laughs> they're not like Marvel movies, like characters just disappear and, you know, new characters that come from nowhere 
show up and then go away, and the story-wise, things contradict each other, which, granted, is not that much different from the actual X-Men comics, so you can't complain <laughs> too much. But uh, I just had this idea that I wanted to sit down with, with a couple of pretty savvy dudes and talk about... And unfortunately, of... they weren't available. <laughs> so I ended up with you guys. So, yeah, so we filled in. <laughs> but um, I, I wanted to talk about continuity within film franchises because ever since I was a kid or or really ever since I guess I got into comic books and sequential storytelling uh, you know I wanted these movies to be what Marvel is now where they're every single film is aware of every other film and they have a, a not necessarily a linear plot but a connected plot and they do their best to not contradict each other um you know even going up to the star wars expanded universe that timothy zahn started where they were conscious of trying to keep everything in order and movies haven't always been that way movie as a matter of fact until recently movies have rarely been that way uh so i want to talk to you guys about where we've been and how we've gotten here with franchises through the years and like I said, the first ones that occurred to me were the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Fox's X-Men movies. But obviously it goes back much, much, much further than that. And I think the earliest example I thought of was probably James Bond, but you guys may have something even earlier than that. I don't know. When I, uh, I, I was curious about this too. Um, shared universes, uh, cinematic universes. Um, obviously, Marvel's now coined the term, I think, cinematic universe. But prior to that, it was, it was I think, uh, referred to uh, as shared universes. Um, and when I, I actually looked up the term on Wikipedia, and it said that the first instance in film of a shared universe was the universal monster movies of that universal did in the thirties and forties. Um, but if I may, before we talk about that, I, I want to go back even further um, because I think it kind of started with, with when film started in the early days of film with uh, in the 1900, early 1900s with uh, Max Sennett and the Keystone cops. Um, they would make a series of short movies all featuring the Keystone Cops. Now, some of those were the Keystone... And most of the Keystone Cops were played by the same people, and they were featured in def- different movies. Um, and that led to Charlie Chaplin. He was one of the original um, uh, cops in one of the shorts. And then he formed his own character, The Tramp, which was in a, featured in a lot of short films and later movies. Now, there's no continuity there. But there is this sort of expectation that when it's when when you go there, there's this sense of oh, there's the Keystone Cops, there's the Tramp, there's this character and that character. So I know, and they're 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 actors playing these parts. So you've got these certain characters, so the audience knows what to expect from these characters in these in these environments. So um, I think that's and then you know Laurel and Hardy does it, uh, the Three Stooges. Um, Abbott and Costello. Abbott and Costello is a cool case because they teamed up with the Keystone Cops in a movie, and then later on they teamed up with uh, the Universal Monsters. Yeah. So, so now you open up that shared universe to even wider, <laughs> right? <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I, so and... I think, you know, and there's there's countless um, cases of film series, whether it's detective stuff like The Falcon, The Saint, or The Thin Man, or you've got, you know, your comedy series, that I've some of which I've already mentioned. Um, so from very early days, you've had movies uh, that are, but, but to have, like, we are really spoiled with Marvel. What Marvel has done in the last uh, little over decade is unprecedented. Yeah, I, it, it really is. Like I said, it's where I wanted us to be. And see, this is why I wanted to have you guys on the show, because I knew this is this kind of stuff you'd bring. Uh, you know, going back to the Universal Monsters, I think the reasons that's, that's considered a shared universe is the Abbott and Costello films <laughs> that kind of brought them and all together. before that, they were mixing, like, Frank. Yeah. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman was yeah. for that. So, but but they were not intended to be that way in the beginning, right? Uh, Universal right. just made a Dracula movie and it did really well. So then they were like, "What else can we do? Oh, let's make a Frankenstein movie that did really well." So then they made a Bride of Frankenstein movie, and then the Frankenstein movies kind of you know because they were all at the same studio. So suddenly there's this thing where like well they like dracula they like frankenstein let's put them together like <laughs> so it and it was done by different creators different people uh different actors in a lot of cases um so um so you didn't have the same it was there was not a lot of continuity there there was no plan <laughs> um it was just done as a cash grab in some cases and some some of the uh, results were pretty good but some of them weren't yeah, and in Hammer, the Hammer horror series, even though they weren't connected by the story or the characters, they reused the same actors in so many roles. Where it was almost like if you went to a Hammer, you expected these guys, and you were curious to see what they were playing this time. Uh, not, but not quite the cinematic universe like the Universal Monsters, which is what I had down as I expected. That was probably the first uh, bit of crossovers. Well, and with the Hammer movies, though, you're right. There was a certain expectation of... And, and and really, I think that's what this conversation boils down to, is an expectation of connectedness, of, of a specific type of satisfaction. And even though they weren't connected by story or character, you're right. They had Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, and people mm-hmm. went to see those faces and what they were going to do. So while it's not exactly what we're talking about, it's the same feeling of what we're talking about, of wanting that that satisfaction of, well, I saw this other thing, and now this thing is going to reward me for having seen that thing. Exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and we've looked, you know, there's been clues in other movies of, of certain connections uh, you know, the Alien Predator one probably comes to mind as one of the ones that, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a little, you know, Easter egg fun thing that the prop guys decided to do because, you know, they just thought it would be fu- kind of fun. And look how it spawned, you know, different stories in comics and then later on in movies themselves. And now they're considered mm-hmm. part of the same universe. Yeah, and, and talk now- talk about your continuity messes. <laughs> <laughs> Those franchises. Whoo. <laughs> And, and for the listeners, uh, the reference there is in Predator 2 uh, when Danny Glover makes his way onto the yeah. the spaceship, the collection of skulls on the wall, there's an alien skull 
yep. on the wall. And that was just something sort of done as a lark for fun before audiences took things like that so seriously. Mm-hmm. But you're right, right. It, spawned, it spawned an entire thing at Dark Horse. That was Dark Horse Comics were the first ones to jump on that connection and, and make use of the fact that both were Fox properties. And then later on, the movies fell into line. Now, whether they did it well or not is a whole other podcast. <laughs> no, no, it's a pretty easy answer. <laughs> yeah, be a short podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think we can sum that up in just a word, no. Well, uh, the uh, the Alien franchise itself is actually, you know, one that I've got in my notes here because it is fairly linear. I'm, you know, there wasn't when Ridley Scott made Alien, there was no plan for Aliens or Alien Three, and certainly not Alien Resurrection. <laughs> but the movies that followed did, and again, their success can be debated. But they did take the preceding movie into account and follow its story. So that, for me, is a franchise where there was a certain amount of respect for continuity and what had come before. And even though each one was made by different creators, they didn't just discard or or ignore when convenient the work that had been laid down. Yeah, and that's a... I mean, in any series... That's a concern, and I don't know. I think, as a general rule, most series uh, play out the fact that the longer they go, the worse they get. Sure. Um, and uh, and that's unfortunate. There are exceptions, and that's I think another case where we're spoiled. Marvel has spoiled us because you know you can say what you will about certain movies that you like or don't like, but I think overall the consistency and the quality of the movies are. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty consistent, right? Like they're it's, they're yeah. they're across the board, you know, some may like this one more than the others and all that kind of stuff, but they they have not made a huge misstep. Yeah. I think too they're also closer to giving us the feel of re- that we grew up reading comics because the comics were so interconnected even even in the small scale where in an issue of spider-man he might swing by the baxter building just long enough for them to go want to know where the fantastic four are (laughs) you know read their mag this month and so you got that feel that they were one big world when you were reading the comics and and they have successfully managed to get that feeling into the movies well and in the comics i mean Yes, it was because Marvel owned all those characters and were publishing mm-hmm. all those comics under the same uh, in the same house, but also it just made good financial sense to throw in those kinds of things because somebody no. sees the Baxter building with Johnny Storm flying over it in the background of a Spider-Man panel and they're like, "Who's that fire guy? Maybe mm-hmm. I should check that comic out now." I mean, it, that kind of stuff it, it's it's mind-boggling to me that it wasn't jumped on in a better way sooner because the bottom line of Hollywood is money Mm -hmm. and look at what Marvel has done as far as taking tertiary and, and lesser characters and making billions on them in relation to each other. I think too, part of the difference is up until that point, and there are a few exceptions, but up until that point, 
when when a studio got a superhero a comic book front, uh, character to make a movie of the first thing they thought of is how can we change this how can we make it less comic booky right whereas marvel leaned into it and says nope we're comics and they they leaned into that and and i think that makes a lot of difference i mean there there are exceptions i certainly think the certainly the donner superman movie you know does not try to pretend he's not a superhero character not at all. Yeah. And I mean, they really play up their comic book roots as well. So, I mean, there, there are times, I mean, certainly the, the 66 Batman is absolutely like right out of a comic book, you know, the, 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 the colorful villains, the, the plots it's so, I mean, there's a lot of times where there are examples of where people have done that, but yeah, up until in recent years, uh, when they made a superhero movie, yeah, the first thought was, yeah, let's change this. And so I think Marvel leaning into that helped, with the fans and then turns out those who weren't into comics still kind of like that linear and connected storytelling as well. And that's really, I think the root of all of this is the storytelling because mm-hmm. yes, they have absolutely embraced the, the comics, the look of the comics, costumes, powers, magic, science, everything about them. But at the base of it all is good characters and great stories and I think that's where a lot of the other franchises have sort of faltered. And, and going back to, you know, I, I was going to say in the wake of, of Batman in 1989, it's amazing that it still took so long for us to see comic book costumes on screen after that movie mm-hmm. did what it did. But then even after that movie, even in Batman Returns, as soon as Batman Returns, we're, we're kind of not really being beholden to the first film. And then of course, after that, it just goes off the rails. Then uh, it becomes a less, we've got to sell toys movies. Uh, yeah. We, we've got to yeah. sell toys and rubber nipples. <laughs> yeah. Cause I remember I, I watched this documentary, uh, but I think it's last year. It's about the, the Schumacher ones, but mm-hmm. especially the last one, the, which one was the Batman last one? And Robin, which and I Robin. love by the way. And, they were interviewing. They were interviewing the cast, and they were talking to the cast. And they said, "A couple of the cast were like, this is the first movie I've ever made where the director, in, in while directing the movie, someone from the toy company comes over and says, sorry, you can't do that.' On set, <laughs> and that the toy company was directing everything they did. So if they, you know, if they wanted to do one thing, they would go, we don't have a toy for that. You've got to use this instead. They would read." you know, realign how the movie was made because it was the toy company was in charge. And I just thought that was so weird. (laughs) And yet the movie still ended up so wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, says the toy guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, this, this is how I view that movie. And eventually it will have a full episode devoted to it. Uh, but to me, Batman and Robin is just a modern reimag- uh, reimagining of Batman 66, straight up with George Clooney doing an Adam West impersonation. Mm. Yeah, yeah I see there's, that. There's a lot to be said there. Um, uh, but I think also, I mean, yes, I I find it staggering to believe that in the comics, you know, um, even though they were they were published by the same company. Superman and Batman didn't team up in for like a 
decade after they debuted. Even if they they were in the same book together, but they had separate adventures. They had World's Finest Comics, which always featured them on the cover together, but they were never together in the stories. It took the radio program, the Superman radio program, to bring, like, their first team up is actually on the radio. I did not know that. It's 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 amazing how... DC owes a lot to the radio programs because that also allowed Superman to fly. That invented kryptonite. And didn't Jimmy Olsen come from the radio show? Either Jimmy or Lex, one of the two. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was thinking Jimmy as well. Yeah, yeah. it could have been. But, but I, so, I, I, I don't know. But since Bobby and I both thought it, I mean, that's two votes. It must be true. Sorry, we may have both misheard it from the same person. Yes, yeah, that's that's entirely possible. Yeah, but but so yeah, so yeah, there's a little yeah weird. I'm the same way. It's weird that it took those and then to get you know DC's three biggest you know characters to put Wonder Woman in the mix. It was even longer before the three of them teamed up. Oh yeah, yeah, which seems um, really crazy. I, it's DC. I feel like has always had problems with cohesion and direction in that way and and finding I guess guiding creativity for that sort of thing the only place where I feel like they've really had successes is in their animated films uh the I guess I don't know how it's officially referred to, but the Batman and Son continuity in their animated films. Oh yeah, the the new Fifty Two stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's well, it all started with that new Fifty Two with that cast. Yeah. That well, new, it, started the, yeah. With, it started with Flashpoint. Yeah. Flashpoint, oh yeah. Right? Well, no, it yeah. was even before that because it was they did. Um, and I don't have the list in front of me right now. Oh yeah, I know what you know what you're talking about. Because uh, they fought Darkseid and Doom. Yeah, well, but it it started with maybe it was Doom. Now I can't remember. Well, this is this also is a whole other episode. But <laughs> while DC has continued to do standalone films in their animated division, they also have chosen this sort of Batman and Son continuity, where they use mm-hmm. the same voice actors, the same animation style, and there is within this series of films. Which is there was a battle, not battle for the cowl. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember what it is. It's the one with Batwoman, Batwoman and Nightwing, and right, right. Um, I was talking, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Batman versus Robin, uh, Justice League versus Teen Titans. Like they've had a whole series. I think they might be up to eight or nine mm-hmm. films now. Yeah, yeah. I've heard the best ending. Yeah. Oh no! The, what the, the, re- the recent Justice League Dark was part of that as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think if Jason O'Mara is voicing Batman, then it's considered part of that. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's yeah. correct. And they use the same because you know they'll they'll actually change st- animation style from from project to project because for uh, the one, uh, it's Batman and Superman, and it's uh, Ed McGinnis. Oh right, right. I got you. Yes, it's, uh, it's based on his art style, and then they did New uh, Frontier yeah. mm-hmm. that has you know, Darwin Cook's art style. Uh, so they, they will use different artistic styles, but this one stays the same throughout. Um, Under the Red Hood was also part of this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's a really, really cool thing that they've done. And I hate to hear that it's ending, but 
I'd rather it end while it's still cool than go on beyond its expiration date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because right now we currently have two like regular. Like, I mean, Kevin Conroy still is in and out as Batman on projects, but I know Jason O'Mara has been pretty standard in the movie, the animated movies. And then um, um, Bruce Greenwood has been playing him through uh, Young Justice and things like that. So, which is absolutely fantastic backcasting, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's my second favorite Bat voice. Yeah, he is awesome. Well, Diedrich Botter is my second favorite, but... When I when I heard Bruce Greenwood, I was like, "Really?" But then once you hear him, you're like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." It's like, how, did I, how did I not put those two together before? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's let's go a little further back. Earlier on, I mentioned James Bond, mm-hmm. and I'm curious to know what you guys think about that franchise's internal continuity. I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me ask you this to start with 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 Bond. Sure. Do you consider, because I know a lot of people think this way, they want, okay, all the ones with Sean Connery, that's one series. When you go to, when you go to the, you know, okay, we go to Roger Moore, it's like, we're starting over. It's like in their heads, they've divorced them into two separate things. So realistically and practically to me, it's all, it's all one character Mm-hmm. And it's just throughout these stories, there are different tones and different scenarios, and you just got to get past the fact that they don't look any different. I do also, though, like the, it's not a theory, the fan conceit, I guess, mm-hmm. that these are actually literally different people who go by the code name of James Bond. Right. Like that's kind of yeah. neat. I like that. That's not what they're doing. It, yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't fit. No, yeah. no, it doesn't. Right, because trying because, to trying to trying to fit it out. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Because the entire world, the entire community would have to be in on the joke, including the villains. Well, yeah. I mean, you're yeah. You're basically you're saying James Bond is like a time lord, right? And he's just mm-hmm. generating every time he gets killed. Well, which, no, no, no. You know, James Bond is is the name assigned to this series yeah. of agents. Like every yeah, time. But, a 007 retires, they get a new 007, and they just go by James mm-hmm. Bond, which, so the again, o- doesn't the only, work. The only, yeah, it doesn't work because the only through line, the only through line in the Bond movies, at least the first three iterations of Bond, is when George Lazenby is Bond, he gets married. Mm-hmm. At the end of that movie, spoilers, she dies. His wife, his new bride-to-be dies right or his new bride dies and if you haven't Um, seen a a 50 plus year old movie don't get mad at us now that's on you the very next movie opens and it's sean connery as bond and he's out for vengeance trying to track down the the person who killed his wife right now then you have like four or five maybe ten movies later (laughs) you've got roger moore uh, visiting going to, visiting yeah. his wife's grave and getting attacked by the guy who supposedly caught uh, killed his wife the first time. Mm. Um, so you've got this through line there, played by three different people, yeah. um, and it's the same story. That on, that mm-hmm. that's very like there's not very many storylines in James Bond, at least in that era, in those eras, that continue that that thread. Yeah, well, there, and I think a lot of people have have latched onto this. 
this theory because uh, because of a jokey throwaway line in George Lazenby's opening arc where he goes, "This yes. never happened to the other guy." Yeah, right. Um, and and uh, you know, it's but it's just a joke because it's a different guy, you know. But yeah, well, and even the fact that they in the he looks Dan- right at the in, camera when he does it in, yeah. the, in the Daniel Craig Bonds. They're even to a certain extent retelling some of the older stories. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. Well, they've retold Thunderball like eight times now. I think. <laughs> uh, all told. Um, yeah. Before we give before we give uh, the X Men too much crap, I, I guess we do have to acknowledge that. <laughs> um, but I love every one of them. Like I love the Bond movies, but you just have to. It's the you know part of your brain has to just accept that things happen behind the scenes that account for what's going on the screen. And if you can't reconcile that, or if you have to try to think of some, you know, inventive way to do that, then that's on you. But Mm -hmm. I've never really needed that. I don't think it's necessary to do that. Um, um, because it just, it just draws attention to it really. Um, you know, it's like, it's like in Star Trek when they had to explain, they they tried to explain why the Klingon suddenly like looked different, um, Mm -hmm. with the, with the ridges on their foreheads when they, in the early days when they didn't have them. We don't talk about that. Yeah. We don't talk (laughs) about that. And then, you know, then they go a step further with Enterprise trying to genetically modify (laughs) the Klingons. And I'm like, stop it. You're taking a joke way too far. Yeah. And not only that, it was like a multi-episode story that took weeks. <laughs> to, 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 just a waste of time. So, so I get it. It's kind of fun to do, but the bottom line is, it's just it is what it is, right? And they, the despite the despite the fact that giant James Bond changes, um, look, Felix Leiter is different almost mm-hmm. in every, every yeah yeah yeah. On. Uh, M and Money Penny are the only ones that are the same. Although um, we've had a few different money pennies, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for the longest I mean, time, for the longest yeah. time, they were the only two that were the same until they neither one of them could do the role anymore, and then they switched over, uh, and then they've changed. But even mm-hmm. even from Pierce Brosnan to Daniel Craig, they could have changed M, but they didn't. Yeah. Right, and Q stayed the same up until. You know, he was retired, reti- ready to retire. Oh, that's right. That's right. I did forget you know, about him. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't there right at the beginning. But you're right. Yeah, yeah. he was as as in like he joined up in the third movie. I think. I guess uh, I think so. Yeah, second or third. I think he's in the second one, but then I think he's actually called Q in the third. Anyway, sorry, getting too geeky there. Um, no, no, there's no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I can when I watch a Bond movie, I. I, I Continuity is not foremost on my mind. I'm watching it just, okay, I'm going to get a nice Bond adventure. I'm not thinking, man, I wonder how they're going to pick up the last movie's threads. Well, it, it's interesting and, you say that because we're in an era now where the where, they do, era, yeah. where this is the first time they've ever done that, where it's a mm-hmm. continuous story from his first movie to the new one. Yeah. They've never they've never taken a story that way. In fact, Quantum of Solace only really works if it's in be- because it's in between. If you watch it as a chapter, not as yeah. a solo film, and only barely then. <laughs> <laughs> not my but favorite. Also, yeah, but we're also getting like like in this this new one that's going to come out. No time to die. It's the returning love interest from the last movie, and yep, yep. so there's a, there's a lot of yeah. There's a lot more interconnectivity than there ever was. Yeah. Yeah. Now. I think because because they think they well they they think audiences expect that now, yeah. um, just like they just like the last 
couple Bond movies have been more about team Bond rather than solo Bond or Bond on the mm-hmm. solo mission, right? Like yeah. there's like a whole team behind him, like Money Penny and and M are in the field, and and I think they 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 think they're changing with the times that way. I I don't know if I appreciate that as much. Um, no, if I wanted that, I'd watch Mission Impossible. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I, and look, I I thoroughly enjoy the Daniel Craig Bonds. They are like every iteration of Bond. They're their own thing yeah. with their own flavor and their own uh, way to be enjoyed. But yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan of Team Bond. I, I didn't like mm-hmm. Q uh having as active a role. Um I I just it's it's not my favorite. It is interesting. The one thing I do find interesting about the Craig years is they've been able to play Bond's life because in in Casino Royale, he's he's young. And by the time we get up to Spectre and No Time to Die, he's retirement age. And so they're playing, they're able to play his whole journey from beginning to end, which none of the other guys really got to do because Bond was always just going to keep going. So it is interesting to see how that dynamic of older Bond versus younger Bond. Right. And and it's weird. The weird dynamic there is that he's been in less Bond movies than a lot of his predecessors, actual mm-hmm. movies, but he's been James Bond for the longest t- longer time than any of the other actors. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, it's been because they just come out way too, like three, four, five years between movies. It's crazy. And then, and you mentioned uh, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, especially the last three or four, have really been playing into that continuing. Like it was the same villain in in five and six had the same villain. So, I haven't but, watched one of those since I think the second one, mm-hmm. and I Ooh. know they've gotten way way better. Yeah, yeah good protocol is awesome. Yeah, and they are more connected to where it's uh, an ongoing story and characters will continue from movie to movie. Or, you know, like I said, the villain, they call it the villain, then the villain gets away and they have to go catch him again. That's the same villain in two movies. And so, yeah, so those, the, the, but they're all kind of playing into that. It's almost the same as when you binge watch a show. We can have a whole season, one story. Whereas TV does it, it seems like the movie franchises are trying to do that as well. Yeah, I think I think I think the movie franchise, the Bond and Mission Impossible, have both been um, reflected off what's the success that Marvel's having. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other franchises that are trying to do that too, with limited success, um, and all of them have benefited from the fact that TV is cha- has changed to that model too. So yeah. I, I think um, you're going to see. Yeah, that's that's the way that they feel like storytelling is now Mm -hmm. i gotta tell you from a tv perspective i do miss shows that were one and done episode of the week like like the a team Mm -hmm. and knight rider and stuff where you know every week there was a different bad guy and then it just kind of moved on and there might be the you know there'd be the through line like the army sergeant trying to chase him down or whatever but it was basically an episode of the week. I, 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 I'm yeah. not saying I want everything to be like that, but I would like to have a, a couple of things like that now so I didn't have to keep up with every freaking show <laughs> in yeah. the world well, intensely. Yeah. Well, sometimes, too, from a storytelling perspective, I think some of these shows that do season-long stories, 
say if your season is 22 episodes, your hero loses for 21 episodes. Yeah. And which at the end of the day, your hero's win-loss ratio is not so good. Well, Agents, Agents <laughs> but, of S.H.I.E.L.D. finally figured out that they could split their seasons yeah. up into two or even three different arcs. Yeah. And the show got a thousand percent better when they started doing that. And all of these shows now that are 22 episodes, uh, they all feel so long. Mm-hmm. And by and the time... Loaded. Yes, absolutely. In the middle about eight to ten episodes just feel like they're treading water. And and yeah. that's the problem is they're trying to tell a single story rather than telling 22 stories or even like three or four stories. Oh my gosh, Bobby, what is happening in your home? Sorry, that was my chair. Sorry. <laughs> I moved. I was I afraid moved. you were in a barn that was collapsing. <laughs> um, Sorry, it was a chair. <laughs> uh, um, I, uh, I, I tell you, two series that I think, and I know this will be a quick little side thing, two series that I think did it well with uh, the mixing of the season-long and individual stories. I thought Deep Space Nine did it really well, and I also think Justified did it very well. Yes. Because, you know, you would have these big stories, but then they would stop, we got to go catch this bad guy, or we got to deal with this sci-fi problem of the week, and it would be like a nice little breather between the big problems. Well, that's part of the reason justified blew my mind when I, cause I got in way late on that show because it felt like what I was talking about, just, just sort of an episodic show, but it successfully was a single story through the, it was really clever the way that they did it. Each episode had its own problem, but -hmm. they were building an arc. Uh, It was, it was very smart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very well read. That show is very smart. That's very smart. So I think, I definitely think that's affected movies. And uh, and I think now, uh, one thing that the Marvel movies have benefited from, and all movies now, is that it's a lot easier to catch up on the movies that you haven't seen. So if you're watching the new, you know, whatever, the new James Bond movie, the new Fast and Furious movie, the new whatever... um, it's not you don't have to like wait till like go to the rental store. Oh, it's out. You know, like yeah, you yeah. can't like mm-hmm. you, you know, you can just easily, you know, bring it up on your streaming service or rent it in Redbox or whatever and you're all caught up in no time. Yeah, they're yeah. imminently available whereas before, you know, if you Batman Returns came out and Batman you could either go rent it on VHS or maybe catch it on HBO in the 3-month window that they had mm-hmm. it. And that was kind of it. Like, it wasn't yeah. a matter of you can just watch it whenever you want it. Right. Uh, so let's go back to the past a little bit and take a look at some of the, the franchises that we grew up with or, or that were, you know, around in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ones that I didn't have in my notes but that just occurred to me is the Mad Max series of movies. Mm. Hell yeah, yeah. That have what I would think of as a very loose continuity uh, you know, you have three yes. movies with Mel Gibson, one movie with Tom Hardy, and it seems to me that I, while Mad Max Fury Road is phenomenal, one of the best movies that's come out in the past, I don't even know how long, Yep, I really would have loved an old Mel Gibson in that role, and it felt to me like that's what it was meant to be. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Too. 
I, I definitely, I, yeah, I agree with you there. And that's not taking anything away from Tom Hardy. He he did no, what right. he was there to do and and was yep. very good at it. Yep. Um, but if you go back and you look at at Mad Max, Road Warrior, and Beyond Thunderdome, you don't know exactly when. The, obviously, Mad Max is the first story wise mm-hmm. because that depicts everything just going to hell. Mm-hmm. But then. Road Warrior and Beyond Thunderdome and, and even Fury Road to a certain extent since we have a younger Max uh, they, they're kind of loose with where and how they take place and what their relation is to one another and and for me for the tone of that franchise it works because it adds this uh, sort of mythology to it because it's even though it's this post-apocalyptic, grungy, sort of industrial story, it it plays out like a fantasy. I can see that, yeah, yeah. So having these sort of poorly defined timelines and sequences of events almost lends, it, lends to its mythology, I think. I can see that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, because they're really, I mean... Right, because it's it's it doesn't really tell you exactly where they're taking place. It doesn't really tell you when, you know. So yeah, so Mad Max takes place we know in this apocalyptic wasteland, but then again, you know, like Conan, Conan takes place in Hamoria, which is you know, just thinking the same thing. It's like a post-apocalyptic Conan, yeah, yeah, or or, or Tarzan, you know. Yeah, yeah Max so, is this like he's he's um the he is. You're right. I've never thought about that before, but you're right. He's like Conan. He's this sort of mythical wanderer who goes from place to place and 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 does horrible things and has horrible things happen to him yeah but he's also the audience's eye because he's going to these places he's never been before yes so when he's he can he can fill in for us the oh crap what is that or you know, he so he can be our eyes and ears too that and that makes it really relatable to us as the audience, because we're just as lost as he is when the movie starts. And and yeah. he has, you know, like Conan, he has that quality where he's often sort of taken aback by what he's encountering. And again, enhancing that audience viewpoint. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We just, we just had a breakthrough there. Mad Max is Conan. I like that. We got to start yeah. working on this book. If only I knew some writers. If only. If only. Um, writers aren't the problem. It's the people with the money to buy the licenses that's your problem. Yeah, right. Well, you know, you haven't seen Bobby's Rates yet. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, why do you think it's taken so long for our book to come out? Um, uh, I think, too, the weird thing about, you know, that series, too, is... Back in the day, I mean, I was I remember watching Road Warrior in the theater, and it was not billed as Mad Max Road Warrior. It was just billed as the Road Warrior. Like, we didn't even know that there was a movie that took place before it. It was only after the movie was successful, word got out that it was, that it was a sequel, and people were like, what? And so, um, you know, yeah. it was shown on TV, I think, the TNT first time I saw it. playing the hell out of it. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it then became like, oh, that's, okay, that, uh, that's, you know, that's uh, the first one. And then we like the first one, we're like, whoa, that's really different. Um but um, and why are they all talking with American accents when this takes place in Australia? Um, yeah, the dubbed version is horrible. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, I so but but I mean I think George 
George Miller, right, who did those movies, and, he, and had he control per- of all of them as well. Which yeah. is well, that that's an important thing that I think we definitely should talk about. Um, but yeah, he had the vision that he wanted to keep them very loose, so that you could just jump on whenever and jump off whenever, presumably. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he wanted you to do that. Yeah, Greg, because you could watch Fury Road without having seen any of the others, and and you're not lost. Yeah, well, most people probably have. Yeah. Well, yeah. and when but, I was a kid, I saw Road Warrior first, which it's funny how hit. many different franchises I saw the, <laughs> the, the later first. movies first. Yes. I yeah. saw Aliens before I saw Aliens. So did I. So did I. Oh, you guys are too young. Well, and but and that was the funny thing about that one <laughs> is I saw Aliens. Uh, at at un, unsupervised friend Wayne's house, you know, where, where we watched all the R-rated like horror sci-fi flicks, uh, and then years later, once I saw Alien, I was like, "This is so boring," <laughs> because my brain just wasn't attuned to the qualities that Alien has. And now I see that it's a, a far. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's incredible. It's one of the best movies ever made. Right. But, well, you were you were probably like me wondering why is this not an action movie? Right. Why are there only five characters? This is yeah. ridiculous. You know that kind of thing. But so, yeah, same thing with uh, Road Warrior. I saw that movie on you know, like you said, TNT or TBS yeah. or whatever one Saturday afternoon. Had had no you know reference for it whatsoever, and then later on found about found out about this Mad Max movie, which is to me a much darker and uh i mean they're all pretty dour movies mm-hmm. but mad max is just bleak oh yeah i mean it's not a happy one no it, it is it's a brutal movie and while i think i was old enough to appreciate it when i saw it i was like whoa this is this is different from the you know dudes jumping onto <laughs> tankers and and just kind of you know uh, road warrior is pretty bombastic compared <laughs> right. to Mad max yeah and also you know i think what helps a lot of these 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 franchises found like and especially in our day when it was they were not just at our fingertips like they are today i do think channels like tnt or usa who got their starts running things like this that the weekends were filled with these kind of action franchise blockbusters to where they got to doing like watch all three Mad Max back to back on Saturday or yeah, you know yeah. all three Star Wars together or whatever and and I think that helped a lot of us of us discover franchises like like because in addition I saw I saw Aliens first I saw Jaws two before I saw Jaws you know there was a lot of that just because of my age and my parents really weren't theater goers so I had to wait till I was old enough to go myself you know well and also and, because. I am shocked that you ever saw another Jaws movie. <laughs> I know, right? I, hey, I like Jaws, too. I think it's fun. But... It's, it's, it, well, you know, comparatively speaking, they, yeah. like I said, they just get worse. I would imagine <laughs> that, you know, back then, the sequels maybe could be had a bit cheaper than the originals, or franchises weren't as big a thing and the sequel would come out and all these channels would want to show the hot new sequel and the originals just kind of they didn't care about them they were like well that's some old movie why would we even want to show that everybody's seen that why yeah yeah that was before they learned that like i remember there was this this one guy that worked at usa network did like a q a 
and someone asked him, why do you play Jaws? Maybe it's TBS. Well, they, why do you play Jaws so often? And he's like, are you kidding? We get better ratings showing reruns of this movie than we do our original content. Yeah. yeah. If they, yeah, if they could, if it was up to him, he would, he would, he would just air Jaws 24 hours a day. Yeah. Um, so Mad Max had its own sort of weird tone and way of storytelling, but I do feel like it maintained an internal consistency that carries through the series. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other things from that era that had the level of creative control that George Miller had over that oh. series? Uh, or are we getting into the realm now where we've got to talk about things moving from creator to creator and the way that they changed? Uh, and, and yeah, I, I, think, I, I think the Mad Max movies are the rare exception. I think most, yeah. most franchises, as they go forward change hands uh, to the, the better or the worse. I mean, with the Alien franchise, obviously, you know, putting it in James Cameron's hand for the sequel was the smart move. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you're talking about, you know, every movie of the Aliens movie franchise is done by a different creator with a different vision, and so you never know what you're going to get when you watch an alien movie and then it reverts finally back to the, the original guy, Ridley Scott. And well, they say you can't go home again. (laughs) And And uh, he proved it twice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's, here are my thoughts. Here are my thoughts on those though. Um, I appreciate Prometheus and aliens covenant for what they are, which is not aliens movies, which is, Look, to me, that's Fox's fault. That's not Ridley Scott's fault. Ridley Scott made Alien in 1979, and he had an idea for further storytelling in that universe that wasn't really as much about the alien. Now he wants to tell this story that he did start in 1979 about artificial intelligence. And if you go into Prometheus and Covenant as these are the stories of what can go wrong with artificial intelligence, then I think they're very well done, fascinating, beautiful movies. But if you go into them as alien sequels or prequels, then you're going to be disappointed because that's not what they are. And I think, uh, I think it's a shame that, that they have that taint on them because taken taken for stories about David, I think they're very good. Yeah, but but, yeah. but, but Dave, to counter that, um, it's not like Ridley didn't know that they were going to put Alien on the title. Well, um, with Prometheus, like, he, he, he didn't want that. Right, mm-hmm. but he knew that that's what was going to happen. Marketing, and, and marketing people said, were going to make the connection. Yeah. But he if could you could have set it up in a completely different, you know, well, I mean, it's me... one of those things where it's like you're damned if you do because you want that the the studio wants that connection because they can sell that, right? right? They can sell that, and then you know they don't want to take a chance on a new vision because God, we don't know if there's money in that. Right. But we right. know that if it's got alien associated with people, will go. So, uh-huh. I, well, let I me get ask that. you guys, as creators, if you have a story concept that you're passionate about, that you want to see made, and you guys know how it feels when you've got something that's just driving you that you can't stop thinking about it day in and day out. 
and you have somebody with the financial ability to make that happen, but they're going to have to slap a different shell on it. But uh-huh. you get to tell your story. What do you do? Well, I mean, well. Both, both Bobby and I have been uh, the assumption that, you know what, if they're paying us, then we'll right. do what we need to yeah. do. But, yeah. And that's true. But but then again, you know, I mean, how tired do you get when you hear, oh, that's, you know, if you take it as not a Batman movie, it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, right, but it's right, a bad right, movie. Right. Or like. If you take it as not a James Bond movie, it's a good movie. It's not just not a good James Bond movie. It's like you can only get away with that so many. T- as a matter of fact, yeah. I don't think you can get away with that at all. Yeah, I, I think it depends on. For for me personally, anyway, it depends on what it comes down to is how entertained I am versus how disappointed I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And with, for for instance, you bring up Batman. I am very entertained by Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. So despite the fact that I don't view them as good Batman movies, I accept them for what they are. But then you get to The Dark Knight Rises, and to me, it the whole thing just falls apart. I, I don't think it works as a movie. I don't think it works as a Batman movie. Nothing about that movie works. So that one I, I can't give a pass to. Yeah, right. well, that's just a bad movie. I mean, there's yeah. between. <laughs> it's not like it's not like anybody's going. It's 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 a good movie. It's just not a good Batman movie. No, no, that's just a bad movie. <laughs> and and almost every franchise has one of those. Oh sure, sure. yeah, you know. sure. Now, but you you were asking too uh, about who else do you think might have had that kind of creative control. And the only other franchise I can think of that might be, and I don't know all the details, but Sergio Leone and Clint Eastwood made those Man With No Name movies. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. And, three, and, and three, I, yeah. yeah, and that's those. it's the same people making all three of them. And I'm pretty sure Leone had more control because of where they were made and the system they were made in yes, absolutely. than had they have been American movies, yeah. 100%. And, and the continuity in those is fast and loose. But again, mm-hmm. like... Like Conan and like Mad Max, this character is a traveler who comes in and out of these, you know, strange lands and strange situations. Uh, you know, sort of a mercenary type. Uh, well, th- th- in this instance, very much a mercenary type. Um, wow, we're really on to something here mm-hmm. with, with this <laughs> concept. I like I'm gonna take, this. I'm going to take all my. I'm going to take all the Conan stories I've had in my head for years. Well, well, New character. Know, let's, let's not forget that you know those three movies were all inspired by the samurai movies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know of uh, that were made by um, Kurosawa, right? Yeah. Yes. So yes. So um, you know, it's not like they came out of nowhere, or not like you know Sergio was reading a lot of Conan and was like, "I'm going to make that a western." <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so, well, and I suppose that character that that character type is mm-hmm. a is an archetype. It's pretty, yeah. It's a, yeah. it's an archetype. Yeah, yeah, it's a universally recognized archetype. Yeah, like, yeah. And 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 really, it is one of the few like. There are only so many plots if you boil them down to their their basic components. And Stranger Comes to Town is certainly right there near the top of the list. Yeah, Clinton himself would have a great time playing with that with two of the movies that he did later on with mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, what's the uh, the hell um, what's the the one where he goes to 
the one where he's like a bad guy. Like, I mean, he's awful in that movie, like as a villain. Uh, oh, the outlaw Josie Wales? No, 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 no. That's, that one? That's, that's actually pretty good. But he's it's, in that it's one, the yeah. With, it's, it's the man with no name, and he goes into town and... Uh, oh, what is it called? It's High Plains... No, High Plains Drifter, right? Where he, like, rapes the girl and, you know, just has the, like, plays the town around because yeah, they want to hire him yeah. to... to to do like to get rid of the bad guy, but he's worse oh, than the that's bad for, guy for a few dollars more. No, no, right? I mean, this is Isn't like it? he's no, no. This is like this is one where he's like, like I said, he goes into town and he like, yeah, he's awful. Um, but then there's that one, and then then Pell Ryder is 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 kind of like that too. Uh, so he plays around and Unforgiven. He plays around yeah. with that as well. So, but there's, I mean, you can consider those part of the franchise or little, you know, because yeah. it's Clint Eastwood. He's the he's the connecting thread through those. Right. Okay, I just watched The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly recently, so that's still fresh in my head. But mm-hmm. is it for a few dollars more the one where he's playing the two feuding families in the town against each other the whole time? Yeah, but that's not the one. That's I'm... a diff- that's a di- that's a different yeah. one that does that. <laughs> yeah, High Plains Drifter is like if yeah if you haven't seen High Plains Drifter in a while, like it's, don't it's watch that with your kid. Been you a minute. Like okay, <laughs> it's it's he's pretty pretty bad in that one, and the town mm-hmm. is worse off after he comes to town uh, when he once he leaves. So um, a, a few other things I have in my notes here, um, you know, we have Jurassic Park massive franchise uh and michael crichton actually you know wrote the sequel books so he could make money basically uh but i would say that the the continuity between the movies is really weird and unsatisfying Mm -hmm. i would say that and yeah like the first yeah a lot of the stuff that happens in the because I've read the books, too. The books are infinitely better than the movies. Yes, they but, work much better. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it seems like... Because it's one of those where you can kind of tell that the, the first one happened with no real thought of a sequel. Yeah. And then it was, ooh, this made us a lot of money. What can we do for a sequel? And it kind of got rushed. It, or it feels that way from an outsider. It feels like it was rushed. Well, it feels like it was rushed, and it also feels like, oh, we can't get our cast back so what do we do mm-hmm. well and, and that's also the thing with franchises that do that uh, that you you tend in most cases there are there are exceptions but you start losing actors that's you because, know yeah that's because the studios know that sequels very rarely make as much as the original yeah. so they always cut the budgets Right. So as you make more movies, the budget gets cut more and more yeah. and more. So you can have Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum in one in the first one. You mm-hmm. can have them in the second one, but you can't have them in the set. Like the you know you can yeah. only have one in the third. Right, you can only, right. Like yeah. So you have to trade right. off. Yeah. Well, they also start to go because the, the actors dinosaur. want more money as it goes yeah. on. Well, and also they start going. The dinosaur is the real star of this movie. They right. Start they start feel like that. they don't need the humans right. as much. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, just to jump around here. And this will be an interesting one uh, to to as we as we near our close here, uh, the Star Trek franchise, three main guys from the first one. So 
you know, yeah. So it's weird how sometimes that flies back around. Certainly Star Wars did it. You know, we did three movies with none of the people we knew. And then suddenly there's Han Solo again. So. But the, right. uh, the, the Star Trek franchise went and uh, I feel like compared to a lot of what we're talking about, uh, Star Trek has been more cohesive. Mm-hmm. Not just between yeah. the films, but even, you know, pulling from the television show. Yeah, I mean, they, they have their continuity problems. I know we talked about that earlier. Things where it's like, you want to you wanna ask them, did you not watch the show? <laughs> <laughs> but in my it notes... Was, well, it was a lot tighter when Gene was around. You know, uh, that one that one guy that with the vision. Um, even he was pretty loose with it. I'm not saying that he wasn't. I mean... You know, just just you know, just aesthetically, the uniform switch between the series, the first movie, and the thir- second movie uh-huh. is is dramatic. Like you know, you're like, is this the same show? Like, is this the same crew? Because they're wearing completely different uniforms. You know. So but- let's talk about that a little bit. So from the TV series, uh, where we have the the colored tops with the black uh-huh. dance. And, and the uh, and the micro dresses on the women, yeah. where you can literally yeah. see their butt cheeks hanging out. Right. Yeah. Well, well you, well, you also do realize that part of the reason for those colors that were in the original series was this was around the time that color TVs were starting to be in more places. And like, like, there's one I forget which brand uses Star Trek in their ad because this is what color TVs were made for. Oh wow! That and and, and I had never really thought about that before, but that explains why original Trek is so bright and vibrant and colorful. Yeah, it was in color. Yeah. Yes. Because yes. Was, because that yeah. was a big selling point in yep. the '60s. You know, it's in color. This is worship. You need to buy us a, a color TV or go to your friend's house that's got one because this show is made for color TV. Man, I'll tell you what. I've never. I, I can't. I don't think I've ever watched the original series in black and white. But how dope <laughs> must that be? You know? <laughs> so. Well, speaking of dull, then we move to 1979. <laughs> wow. Uh, the motion picture. The, the beige era. What? So yeah. those those Jump uniforms, what, what in the world? Well, not even, not even just the uniforms. It was the, color. the 70s. Yeah, but, but, but not even that. The color of the bridge was kind of beige. Everything is so washed out. Yeah. Uh, and, and what's yeah. funny is visually that movie is spectacular but design wise or production design wise they really just toned everything down so much and i wonder if that was an overreaction of of like trying to get away from the bright colors of the original series like this this is a serious movie in our leisure suits it was part that and i think part of it was in response to 2001 because a lot of stuff it, 2001 very much inspired a lot of Star uh, Trek the motion sure, picture sure, yeah. yeah and that had a very that had a, a lot of you know he there's parts of it that's really bright and, but it's white like stark white and then you get the parts that are just red and you get these parts where they've got the homey wooden touches yeah. on the space set. And I think they were trying to do that because, you know, there's, there are scenes in there where they go into like the, 
the rec room or wherever it is to talk, and it's like orange. You know, the furniture is or an orangey red, and so and there's a lot of those type of things in the motion picture that maybe in 1979 were pretty cool, but become <laughs> dated. And when no, you watch I remember seeing it in the theater, and I don't think I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I wasn't known for being cool, but um, whereas, I, even even I could see how unhip that was. Yeah, whereas when you go to Star Trek Two, and as with Star Trek Two, that's where Gene Roddenberry was not in control any longer. He was there, but he was no longer the boss. Well, and I've got to say, and, those uniforms, I I adore those mm-hmm. Starfleet uniforms for, from then on. I do, I do, but I kind of wonder, like, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, why are, why is everybody in a red shirt? Have they never watched the show? Like, is that a good idea? There are some fan photos out there where they have recolored, like, in their yeah. publicity shots. Yeah, yeah. And it does, look, it does look pretty cool seeing them in those, in their, their, their TV show colors. But I, I, I love that uniform, and it, it it just works for me in a way mm-hmm. that the what they were wearing in the 79 movie doesn't. But to get back to the, the meat of our conversation, uh, we get a story that goes through all of these movies from mm-hmm. real... I'm, I, I can't include <clears throat> motion picture quite as much, although nothing necessarily contradicts it, but from Wrath of Khan through Undiscovered Country, this is essentially a storyline. Yeah. yeah, especially yeah. two, three, and four. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. The whole death of Spock, finding Spock, Spock getting back to normal. All that. Yeah, there's a lot in those two, three, and four. That yeah, that's one big. It's like like we talked about with uh, uh, James Bond. That those really they work individually. Okay, they work great. But man, when you watch all three of them together, that's that's a massive one big story. Well, and I do when I watch Wrath of Khan, I watch three and four i, I just yeah. I, I watch search for spock and, and i watch the voyage home i, I have to mm-hmm. yeah yeah because it really is one big story five you can kind of five kind of does because it does go into they get the new ship and but yeah but six six really does feel like part of that's you know we just jumped ahead 20 years or whatever it yeah, is yeah i mean well, five and six and fall in brought- line they brought yeah. you know Nicholas Meyer back. They yeah. brought like you know, so it's not a not a coincidence, right? So um, yeah, so when you bring the guy who directed two back, you're going to get some callbacks. Yeah, and I so think was, it's a yeah. fantastic way. I mean, to me, six is where the original cruise story ends. I don't count, mm-hmm. I don't count generations. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but and yeah. six is really is really. I mean, it was written that way. It was written to be their swan song, and I think, yeah. and it's one of those things too. They beautifully give everybody something to do, and I think it's a good story. It's a it's a good entertaining story. Oh, it's fantastic, and it brings the whole story of of the death of Kirk's son full circle. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. yep. I and mean, it's beautiful. It's it's it truly is. You know, I understand how people feel about five, and and you know, it's not my favorite. But the story of those movies is really fantastic. I I, I really do. I, I love those movies without reservation. Yeah. Uh, so before we wrap this thing up, did you guys come with any specific notes or any specific franchises you wanted to talk about or things you wanted to mention? Mike, I know you've got to have something to say about Indiana Jones. 
Um, do you want it to be a good thing? Um, uh, <laughs> like, look, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite movie of all time. Um, and I did not like the second one when it came out. Um, not at all. It felt like a betrayal. Uh, the third one, I thought they got um, back on track. And uh, I'm just looking forward to them making a new one, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I, you know, but if you add in the TV series to that, then it gets, like, that becomes a weird mm-hmm. uh, franchise as well. Um, well, he becomes very Forrest Gumpy when you add in the TV series. <laughs> well, he loses an eye, you know, he becomes this, like, weird, like, old man one-eyed old man um which is just like bizarre um but harrison ford is in one of those um so Mm -hmm. that's that's uh pretty cool um i you know i the but that you can't blame it on different creators that's for sure because you know spielberg Spielberg and lucas Lucas. are in charge like yeah each time so uh so not not have i mean having the original creators doesn't always pan out sometimes no, I mean, it's if, good to have some new blood if they did a fourth movie i don't even know if it would really be that good <laughs> yeah i don't i can't see yeah it might not be but um, as far yeah. as the continuity um as far as the cohesion of the movies uh they i think they work together uh-huh. it's a little weird that temple of doom and because temple it, of doom it, takes place before four raiders correct yeah correct yeah Yeah, it's a prequel so at the end of temple of doom he's you know snuggled up with willie or whatever and then you know the beginning beginning of raiders uh he's he's a solo man (laughs) a man of many loves wow there's a pun there you know <laughs> I assumed he did it on purpose. I of course he did. Of course you know? I did. Of always, course always, did. always intend the pun, even if you didn't. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, but it, and and also, what the heck happened to Short Round? Yeah, I don't think anybody's asking that question. Everybody, what are you talking about, Mike Gordon? Everybody wants to know what happened to Short Round. That was when I watched those with Phantom Junior. That was his first question: "Is what happened to Short Round?" Did you watch him in order? What order did you watch them? No, in? we watched them in regular order. But I did explain to him that Temple of Doom uh, took place before, and that he was very concerned. He was like, "Wait, what happened to that kid?" And I'm like, I don't know. Let's watch this other one. <laughs> the idea that people are watching Raiders of the Lost Ark and going, where's Short Round? Just just annoys the hell but, out of but me. It annoys that you. movie is so perfect. But it annoys you because you grew up with them the way they are. It's the same thing. You know, generations after us are growing up with these films as holes. They're yeah. not. They're growing up watching the prequels before they watch the original trilogy. Yeah, they're that growing up mind. watching Clone Wars. You know, as part of the Star Wars mythology, they're taking in these stories in ways that we didn't have the opportunity to. So, to them, animated Anakin Skywalker is more important than Luke Skywalker. Yeah, a bigger one of the, character. One of the greatest things that we got out of the the star wars the original star wars trilogy was the big reveal in empire kids today know it before they ever get there yes 
hundred percent. Well, so, to well, me, so that impact is different. They would know that anyway. Probably. Well, sure, but I mean, yeah. even if they just watched the, what they're watching, they would know that ahead. So, so they're not getting some of the things that were just huge shocks or surprises to us. You know, it goes out the window for a lot of the new reviewers because well, they're getting. Me, the the huge reveal in Empire was not that Vader was Luke's father. It was that Vader was a human. Yeah, I thought he was a freaking robot. Well, the biggest way that it changes though is that now you when you watch you know episode four four you know a new hope you're like oh brother and sister are kissing like <laughs> that's that's just that's just gross right yeah well it also makes me go man how come how come Vader couldn't sense that that was his daughter because <laughs> he sees Luke and went, well he doesn't really sense Luke either. I guess well, there, if one, we if we wanted yeah. to get into the plot holes in Star Wars, <laughs> we'd be here for another twelve hours. Yeah. Um, well, I can so. tell you though. I mean, speaking uh, with Star, like I don't know what the future of Star Wars is going to be on the big screen. I mean, I think even Disney is trying I don't to figure care that if out it has still. A future on the big screen, but I think I think, and uh, um, you know, you can see if I don't think you'll disagree with me on this, but I think in Favreau and Filoni, they have found a suitable creative um, visionary um, that's capable of taking this franchise to the next level. I certainly hope that that's what they're looking at, and I, mm-hmm. I don't see how they could see it any other way. And, and, and they've added, added Feige to the list, too, so you've got yes. three Fs there, and yeah. between the, the yeah, three you're right. Fs... you're right. How weird is that? <laughs> yeah, uh, they, uh, they, could, they could easily... Like, I'm like, that's that's all you need. Just keep those three guys in charge of the whole franchise from here on in. And I think you're just going to, you know, Disney just sit back and, you know, cast the checks. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I don't ever need to see star Wars on the big screen again. If it continues to be as good as the Mandalorian. That makes sense. I yeah. don't want to see it on the big screen. Sorry, man. <laughs> look, I'm, no, I'm look. I want to still see star Wars on the big screen. Well, but... I want good star Wars on the big screen. Yeah. Nobody wants bad Star Wars on the big screen. Some like people that. seem to. Well, they might. Uh, yeah, nobody. I don't think nobody wants. Like they might have a different definition of what good is. Because uh, I know that you and I differ as far as some of the movies, uh, as far as what we like and what we don't like. But um, you know, I want to. I like Star Wars as a film franchise, and I want to see you know more Star Wars movies. Um, and obviously, I want them to be good. But in this era what qualifies as big enough to warrant a theatrical release versus the kinds of stories we're getting with the Mandalorian that are great on television? Well, I think you definitely get more character pieces on television. You're going to get more character insights. You're going to spend, you can do smaller stories that work there. When you're putting something like Star Wars on the big screen, you need those space battles. You, you, because people are expecting that because the first the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, gave us that. And then it kind of set the tone of we're going to blow some shit up, <laughs> you know, and you need that on the big screen. If you're going to do Star Wars on the big screen, I don't think you could do the Mandalorian just as it is. You would have to right. have some bigger, bigger action pieces. Well, and I think so. part of why that's connecting so well for me you know, obviously I grew up with the original trilogy, but where I really became entrenched as a Star Wars fan was with the expanded universe that I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. 
and that was all about character. Yeah. Uh, because they were novels and they had time to really spend with Han and Luke and, and you know, the, the offshoots like Mara Jade and the kids. And mm-hmm. you really, really Thrawn. got invested. Yes, you got yeah. invested in these characters. And that's why Clone Wars and Rebels and The Mandalorian, for me, are so resonant because that my, you know, I fell in love with Star Wars as a kid, but I got married to it as a teenager Mm. and it's that relationship that these shows are nurturing and the, the big, you know, two hour bombastic epics aren't necessarily what I want out of it anymore. Right. Yeah. Right, because sometimes the books, I mean, some of the book series were fantastic. Like, I was a big fan of the uh, the Rogue Squadron novels, which yes, were yes. much slow. They were, they were basically war novels, like the guys on the ground or the fighter pilots, and they were such well-written, but they weren't big, giant space battles. It Dude, was smaller, Wedge, get to know the characters, yeah. Wedge Antilles and Corrin Horn and, like, all of those pilots that they developed so much yep. in those books. I love those guys. Like, I... Yeah. That's the kind of stuff I I want that kind of character driven storytelling in the Star Wars galaxy. That's what I'm yeah. I'm loving and thriving on right now. But we, I, we I would lo- I would I would love to see that as like in like the tone of Rebels or or Clone Wars on TV. Oh yeah, that'd be fantastic. That would be awesome. But we can't talk about Star Wars too long because Chad's not here and he'll get really <laughs> mad at me if we do. Um, I, I, I do have one last question because yes. we've been kind of we've been talking about the other like all the other franchises, all the other things that because we've established that Marvel has done it the right way. Now with Endgame, now Marvel moves to a different chapter. Do you are you confident that they're going to be able to continue this run, or do you think um, you know they? They had a nice run at that uh, a nice decade, and now it's it's starting over, and who knows what could happen. I am I confident it... that they will continue their success, but I just don't see how. Mm. <laughs> well, I also that's I the also, fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I also think that now that we're ten years in, audience expectation is higher. When I went in to watch Iron Man, I went in with no expectations because right. I was used to superhero movies. They're, they're, this is not, it's going to be okay at best. And I was blown away. By the time I got to Endgame, I'm expecting something to kick ass, you know? And it still I'm, exceeds your expectations. Absolutely. So, but I think as, as the audience, as with every success they've had, the audience expectation has gone up. And eventually, they're you know it's just like when Star Wars came back after what twenty some odd years, you know expectations were way up here, and they didn't it, it didn't quite get there you know with the audiences the, the the movie didn't match what the audience had in their built up in their head. I have so I have complete faith in Kevin Feige, Feige, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, and his chosen creators. However. I simply do not see how the Eternals and Shang-Chi and like some of these movies that they've announced 
are going to engage me as much as the ones that they've made. But I would have said this, and this is the common thing, but I would have said the same thing about Iron Man and Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I... I fully admit that I was wrong. We we I whatever whatever the first trailer for Guardians dropped. I forget what movie it was in front of, but I think Mike, you and I were at the same movie together, and I remember whoever I was with is you. You were my brother, and I turned and go, "That's Marvel's first bomb." Oh no! Because, I, because that first trailer, the the teaser, it's so. It, it's the, the it was the stupid humor stuff where they're in the lineup and what a bunch of a holes and I'm like oh that's not what I want to see <laughs> I don't want to see a comedy and so that trailer I was convinced that was going to be Marvel's first bomb and I was absolutely wrong because it's in my top five well you of weren't the you weren't movies. alone though a lot of people yeah. thought that um and I'll be honest the only reason I didn't is because I was already a devoted fan of James Gunn at that point. Mm-hmm. So for me, that movie wasn't even about the fact that it was a Marvel movie. It was about the fact that it was a James Gunn movie. And he was finally getting a budget that his imagination deserved. Right, right. So like right, that at, that, was... at that point, I only knew him from Slither. I knew Slither. But that was yeah. You know, so but yeah, it just it was one of those things. It was just my first gut reaction was, <laughs> and you know, and I fully admit I was wrong. <laughs> I, but, I was excited. I was yeah. excited. I was not. I was. I did not feel bad about that at all because I was reading. I had just read uh, the the Guardians book that was that Abnett Lanning did, which it obviously pulled from, and I, I recognized that right away. And I uh, I was like, this is gonna this is gonna be good. Yeah. This is gonna all, be great. I was just thinking, that's not the Star Lord I read as a kid. That's, you know, that's not that's not Destroyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I admit, no, no. But I didn't have that same look on it as you did because I had not read that. Right. So yeah, so I was pulling from. I know these characters from long ago and far away. <laughs> but yeah, I knew, I knew nothing about yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy at the time. But it but it didn't matter because I was just I was all in whatever. Yeah. And then it turned out to be just as awesome as I hoped it would be. Yeah. So do we have time for to, for at least one more? I want to yeah. talk about a trilogy. I want not a trilogy. I want to talk about a franchise that had potential that never quite went anywhere and I don't think it's ever going to. Highlander. <laughs> I love the first movie <laughs> and I love the T V show. <laughs> But the the concept is so good. The initial story idea. I love this idea of people fighting and killing each other through time. For a, now, I would I, if I was writing it, it would be for a goal that none of them ever reach, because it'd be just people killing each other for some some prize that nobody knows what it is or if they'll ever get it. Well, see, that's that's my issue with the whole thing and why it always felt like a half-baked premise to me is that I I never quite got, well, you can't be the only one because there are tons of them out there because we see them every freaking week on the television show. Mm -hmm. Like what? I I don't know. It just, it it never felt very, and I look, I loved the Highlander show. I watched it every single week. Um, when I was younger, I loved the first movie. I have watched it recently, and while I enjoy the performances, I don't love the movie as much as I used yeah. to. Um, 
but I could well, never the... get totally invested because it just didn't feel very well thought out yeah. to me. Well, the, and, and the movies had the problem of at the end of the first one, he is the last one. He gets the he gets the prize, right? And in so theory, in the that one, should have been it. That should have been it. So then they do another one. Oh, well, let's bring back a few more. You know, and suddenly he's not. He doesn't have any more. But it ends with him getting the prize again. And then the third one, he's another one comes through time, and it's like you're inventing. Stop making him the last one if you want to keep making movies. And right. I think by the time the series was, it's like, oh yeah, that really wasn't the last one. It was just right. another one. Yeah. So, but I like, yeah, I thought I like the idea. Like the series really handled it well. It's just like we don't know how many's out there. Oh, and new ones get created all the time. You know, because yeah, they I- don't. There, there is a great story concept in there somewhere, mm-hmm. and I think it hasn't been fully realized yet, which is why every time somebody says Highlander reboot, I, I don't immediately turn up my nose because I think there's a lot of potential for that idea, and I would love to see somebody really do something cool with it. Yeah, and especially in this day and age where the just the fight scenes would be incredible. Oh yeah, gosh! You know yeah. we could we could you know we could have some incredible sword fighting uh, stuff there. But yeah, I don't know who the the the, the filmmaker is because the people that were involved in with the the series from the beginning or of the show, none of them are still around. So it would have to be someone new to come in. And I know I hear talk of reboots here and there, but. I don't know. It's one of those things. I just don't know if I don't know if anybody's quite got the handle on it. Right. It it needs to be more than just this movie is recognized by nerds, so let's mm-hmm. let's slap a new one out there. It needs to be somebody yeah. who has a vision for what yeah. it is. Kind of, kind of like how like they're taking some of these older movies and turning them into TV series a la Westworld. Yes. Yeah, I don't I don't you, need Westworld reshot with CGI. I need the concept of Westworld taken to the next level, which is what right. the show was and why it's so satisfying to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love so, that so kind I, of stuff. Yeah. And those creators, I can't remember what it was now. The the people who did Westworld are circling around another property now. Have you guys uh, heard they're about in charge this? Of, uh, they're in charge of, um, was it Fallout? No, that's not what I'm thinking of. This was announced within the last couple of weeks. Oh, gosh. All right, you guys, I hate doing this, but I because this is, this is a topic of conversation. Um, <laughs> I, have to, I have to look this up now. He's going to break out the Google. Oh, I, I know, and I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I hate doing this while I'm recording. <laughs> It's but right. it's, you know, it's, that's why they get, make edit buttons. You know what? I'm thankful for it. As I get older, I just need I need all the assistance I can get as far as uh, that goes. So well, and that's uh, what like as as I get older, like so, somebody I've got somebody who wants to record an episode about DC animated universe. Nice. And man, I'm gonna have to watch those again. Oh, like, I can't, I can't have a good conversation about them just off the top of my head anymore. Like yeah, this kind of stuff, I used to doing, just know. They are developing William Gibson's The Peripheral. I don't know if that's what you were talking no, about. But. That's not what I'm thinking about. Okay. Um, you guys think I'm? I'm going to give it a few more seconds to tr- to to 
look stuff up. You guys talk about another franchise. <laughs> talk about another franchise. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, well, we, we haven't mentioned Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And that was a pretty solid one that went, what, uh, the you know, it went uh, six, seven movies, had a well, TV ten, series. Technically, they've had, yeah, two successful runs of and movies. And then, then they did a reboot, and, yeah. uh, and that went, like, four or five movies. And, I mean, obviously, I think now it's going to have to be rebooted again. But yeah. um, uh, I, well, and then had a, well, it had a, like, a failure of a, a movie um that burton did oh gosh but um <laughs> but um i you know it's one that's still exciting to people um the just uh, just like the makeup uh back in the day was the big attraction i think um along with the story um as far as the people in the the ape suits um now the cg is what captivates so many people um <sighs> but sphere yeah. it was sphere oh, sphere okay which was <laughs> A, a cool book adapted into a horrible movie and again a really fascinating concept that I think new creators with a good vision which Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan absolutely qualify as could do something really cool with it's funny how many of these things we've talked about have been Michael Crichton books right? <laughs> oh my gosh you're right Yeah, because Westworld yeah. is also so yeah. is Jurassic Park yeah yeah um <laughs> Okay, sorry, sorry. To go back to Planet of the Apes, which Planet of the Apes was on my list uh, because we have two, two. Oh, we've got one shitty movie that you guys yeah. um but two sort of separate franchises that I guess mm-hmm. aren't necessarily because I mean the the newer ones do lead into the original movie. Right, they that yeah, that's oh, an unexpected yeah. turn. But yes, you can look at the 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 second franchise as a prequel to the first franchise, which blows my mind, and it it kind of works. Oh, totally yeah. works. I I just finally watched, and I I'm so ashamed of myself because I was late to the game on uh, the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Mm. Uh and then once I finally watched it, I was like, that was incredible. Mm-hmm. And then Rise, I think, wait, was Rise the first one or the second one? Rise was the second one, right? Second one, I think. So Rise of the Planet of the Apes came out, and I was like, I've got to go see that in the theater because the first one was so good. I want to support this movie, and I want to see it on the big screen. And then I just didn't. So I didn't see it till it came out on Blu-ray. And then I did the same thing with War for the Planet of the Apes and finally watched it a few weeks ago. And I was like, this was awesome. I'm so mad at myself for not properly supporting the series. Well, and, and the original Apes movies, there were five of those, right? Five? Yes. And they, I don't think they ever expected it to go that far because you, obviously they blow up the Earth in at the end of the second movie. <laughs> yes, and then... And then somehow so, it keeps going. Yeah, and so they, you know, so yeah, well, so they had they to go keep back. Going, like, time, oh, we gotta, right? yeah, yeah, we, yeah. They, yes, the two of the apes go back in time, and their child grows up to become Caesar. And but yeah, you know, they made it work. You know, but but they didn't. It's clear when they made the first movie, they had no plans beyond one movie. No, that scene and, on the beach was supposed to be the conclusion of the Planet yeah. of the Apes story. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, there's nobody else on the planet to talk to. Charlton Heston is alone. You know, he can only talk to himself and the girl that can't talk back to him. (laughs) 
But yeah, and I still, you know, um, I, I joke because Rod Serling, you know, did the script for that. That that is my one of my fa- is my favorite, you know, Twilight Zone episode. Oh, I mean, it uh, is. It, it's an extended Twilight Zone for sure. Right. Because yeah. that that that's not in the book. You know, the book is wildly different. If you've ever read that, when when in the book, the apes basically the, the apes have cars. They're driving. It's closer to the Mark Wahlberg version where they're in cars and wearing clothes and. That's in the book that way. So, yeah, this whole them on horseback and not, you know, living out in huts was, I think, more of a budgetary decision than anything else. Well, and to be honest, I would like to see a continuation of the of this these three movies that we got, which obviously um, Matthew Vaughn. No, not Matthew. um, What's his name? I think it's Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. doing the new Batman. Movie. Right. He's otherwise occupied, and I and I think <laughs> yeah. has said he's done with the ape stuff. Mm-hmm. But so no, so no Batman on the Planet of the Apes movie. I mean, I'd be up for that. Oh. Let's not let's not rule it out because I'll tell you what. Right now, there was a Star Trek Planet of the Apes comic that was awesome. Yeah. Um, true. So we have to. We I, I kind we kind of laugh because the last time Mike and I had one of these conversations where we threw one of these out. The very next week, someone announced a comic out. We think we're being bugged. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what you're saying is we should expect the Conan Mad Max Man with No Name crossover comic to be coming coming, soon coming from, from Dynamite. Coming from, I, I was going to say IDW, but Dynamite works. Yeah. <laughs> um. So to wrap up, because we do have to wrap up now, I think that we're in a cool place where we have Marvel giving us really high quality comfort food. Mm-hmm. And we have DC who just can't figure out what they want to do, but does seem, you know, yeah, they're reintroducing the multiverse, but hopefully they'll still do these interesting things like Joker and, and things that aren't necessarily continuity. Uh, you know, I don't need the continuity, but I like it. So for DC to move forward, if they can base something in a certain way, kind of like how the animated films have done, where you do have a central singular cast story, whatever, but they have the space to create different things uh, from auteurs or visionaries who don't want to play within that realm. You know, DC certainly has the enough material to allow for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we can have it both ways, but I think Marvel have at this point limited themselves to where they couldn't go outside the box like that. Not really, no. Yeah, because they are so connected. And I think it would be a mistake for DC to commit to a singular vision at this point because I think their advantage is let's say Guillermo del Toro shows up and he wants to do a red rain movie. Well, DC could do it right now because they're not married to any one concept. Right. It's the one problem that they had. I think, you know, I think one of the greatest directors right now that's working today is Edgar Wright. And the fact that he could not, you know, make a, Marvel movie to me is a shame because he just couldn't fit in that you know he couldn't fit that round peg in that square hole right? yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
So um, you have to, you know, that's that's the that's the downside of the Marvel MCU is that there there's a consistency there, but if you need to be more stylized, you have to go play elsewhere. Well, yeah. and wouldn't it be fun if? DC or I guess Warner Brothers is really who we're talking about here. If Warner Brothers learned from the James Gunn situation uh, and went to Edgar Wright and said, "Hey, which one of your character, which one of our characters would you like to do a movie for? Oh, let's man, let's I get an Ed, let's get an Edgar Wright elongated man movie." Yeah, and it's oh, a great yeah. it's it's a great thing that Fox. You know, one of the great things that came out of Fox owning the X Men is that we got a Logan movie that we would never get with Disney. Yes, right. absolutely. Well, you know what? You say that. No, I mean that. <laughs> <laughs> you yes, might have been able to watch the Wolverine on Disney Plus, but you'll never watch Logan on Disney Plus. No, that, I think that's accurate. Just because Disney Plus has said yeah. they won't host R-rated movies. But Disney has in the past, I mean, they, they own Miramax. They own Hulu, which is where they drop a lot of that stuff, too. Yeah, I mean, to to say that Disney won't do things like that remains to be seen, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But also, to be fair, to get to Logan, we had to go through some movies that were okay at best. I will, go, <laughs> I will say right now, Logan... If the price I had to pay to see Logan was watching X-Men Origins Wolverine, it was not worth it. (laughs) Because that is the worst piece of shit I have ever seen. Wow. I don't know, man. X-Men 3 is... I put that one worse. I I don't. I don't. And it's bad. Don't get me wrong. But... There is fun to be had with X-Men 3. There is no fun in X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> like, I enjoy Ellen Page's Kitty Pride. Like, that's fun. Uh, even though he looks like garbage, um, Vinnie Jones' Juggernaut is fun. It's not, like, it looks terrible. Like, why would you make Juggernaut look like that? But he... But even Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool? <laughs> Sorry, just don't. <laughs> what would what would he have to make fun of? That's actually besides, besides Green Lantern, he's made he's, he's put it to good use. That's actually the only part of that movie that's worth watching is the beginning where he's still talking and playing yeah. like Wade Wilson pre whatever they do to him in that stupid fucking movie. Um, like that part of the movie is worth watching, and then just turn it off. So I'm guessing there's not a toy of that version of Deadpool on your shelf. No, there's not. And I didn't, I didn't even at the time, I mean, I was been collecting forever. I was collecting at the time and did not buy that because it was such a piece of shit. (laughs) Well, guys, I hate to, I hate to wrap things up on a piece of shit, (laughs) but that's where we're at. Uh, Any final thoughts about uh, where we're at with continuity, where we've been, where we might go. Uh, Bobby, what what are your closing thoughts on this theme? I, I don't think we've seen the end of it. I think a lot of movie studios see what Marvel has done, especially Marvel, with uh, with you know ten years of this, and a lot of a lot of these studios think they can jump to the end of the line. They instead of building it up with a couple of little movies that work their way up, you know, I think that was part of the problem with Justice League. They tried to get to Justice League too quick. 
before they set everybody up. So I, I, I unfortunately, I, I expect to see a few more of those missteps, like the mummy or, you know, where they're going in with, a, we're going to build this franchise, not we're going to make a good movie that will build a franchise. We just want to build a franchise. It still has to be a good movie. And I, I hope that's all a takeaway they, they take from it. Mike Gordon, do you think anybody will be able to not even replicate Marvel's success, but even on a smaller scale, learn the lessons and make something comparable? Not success-wise, but quality-wise. I think the biggest lesson to be learned by Marvel's success is not the one that they've been, that all the other studios are trying to follow suit with, with, as Bobby pointed out, is failing miserably, or with mixed success at best, um, is it takes a visionary to come in and do something that's never been done before. Yeah. And until we, and, and I, and do, I think that's a possibility. Sure. I do. I think that's, that's a definite possibility. And I have hope that we'll, you know, we'll see that again in our lifetime, but that's, you know, I mean, what Marvel has done may never be absolutely replicated. I don't expect it's kind of like, you know, one of those home run records back in the day or whatever. It's just, it's just a different ball game now. So, um, I think what Marvel has done is unprecedented and, and will forever be in Hollywood, you know, filmmaking history. But for someone else to come in and, and do a franchise in a different way that we haven't seen before and be it success, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely a possibility. I look forward to seeing that. Well, movie studios out there, uh, I have been talking to two visionaries tonight on the Needless Things podcast uh, if you need somebody to run your franchises, contact me. I'll only need 20% of their pay. Uh, I will hook you up with these two visionaries. Uh, Bobby, where can we find you online? What are you up to? Um, uh, BobbyNash.com is uh, the website. Um, I am always writing, and I've actually started doing more artwork, which is fun. Um, I've been taking advantage of my extra time at home. <laughs> to do one more you know add one more thing to my list instead of just relaxing um but uh yeah between writing and drawing and uh because you know we're not really doing much in the way of acting right now um so yeah just sitting at home and tapping away at the keyboard mike gordon where are you what are you up to uh, you can find uh, all my book projects, uh, which I've been working. I've been using the time as well. I've got four books currently in production, various stages, uh, and you can find out all about that uh, through my social media or newlegendmike.com, newlegendproductions.com, and you can hear me every week on the Earth Station One podcast. That's earthstation1.com. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about uh, this continuity within franchises. And uh, if either one of you can come up with a clever name for this episode, please drop me a message after we're done. (laughs) Thanks a lot, you guys. Thank you, man. See ya. Oh, so many things I forgot to mention in our intro, but I, I once I hit that 15-minute mark, I'm like, this is ceasing to be an intro and turning into uh, uh, an entire show, so I do have to cut myself off sometimes. So I want to mention October the 5th, episode 4 of G.I. Joe, or I'm sorry, Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast, will post. It's... It's evolving. We have a new segment. 
that is not replacing an old segment. It's just slotting in for a little while. The old one will come back. Uh, this is something we plan to do where we're going to rotate segments in and out of the show over the course of time. Uh, we will be. We have a new review. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about Snake Eyes Dead Game number two. Or I guess we'll be talking about Snake Eyes Dead Game number two since it didn't come out in time for us to review it last time. But it'll be a more brief conversation than the one we had on the other episode. Uh, go subscribe. It has its own feed now. Execute Chapter 66, the Star Wars fiction podcast. Uh, and also... Oh gosh, I can't remember the name of it. I'm so sorry, Chad. Uh, our friend Chad has a new Muppet pop podcast uh, that is detailing the history of Jim Henson and the Muppets. And I'm hoping that I can sit here and look it up in the limited time that I have here. I promoted it earlier. Come on, Instagram. I've put you over so well. Here we go. I'm getting... What? Oh, you guys, I'm so bad at social media and everything else, as, as you well know, uh, if you follow the podcast. There it is, there it is, a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets, a feat of lunatic daring. Go check it out. I love you guys. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.